Would you please take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 10? Romans 10 in your Bibles. We're continuing our series in the book of Romans, and we are in the middle of a unique section of Romans 9, 10, and 11. We're going to take them one chapter at a time, and it's been my prayer that you'll get something very, very sweet and special for yourself out of this, even though uh, as this part of the letter of Romans is written, we are getting something of the past of Israel, the present of Israel, and then next time we'll look at the future of Israel. But I think very clearly this is uh, very applicable to our lives even on this day. I like to look at idioms oftentimes and try to find out where they came from, um, how much wisdom are actually in them, and to try to see how those can apply to my life. One idiom that I think applies very, very clearly to our time in God's Word today is the expression, don't miss the forest for the trees. The idea behind that idiom is there's oftentimes a big picture that we need to always keep before us, but in order for that big picture to happen, it is common that we have to pay attention to the details to make it work. And so, don't miss the forest for the trees. I have an illustration, it's an old story, that points us in this direction, and I think sets up well what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at as he writes uh, this chapter uh, to the church at Rome. There's um, an old story about uh, some folks in the jungle, and they needed a path to be built through the jungle to get through to another destination. They needed this path desperately, and it was going to be a lot of work as they got going. And as they had the workers there and they had some of the tools, they needed some organization. So they recruited the most organized guy in the group to run this project, and then they started. And this organized guy was fantastic. He had the strongest guys in front with machetes chopping a path through the jungle, and then he had sharpeners that were sharpening the machetes as they went. He had the meals lined up at the right time. He had all, everything organized perfectly. And they were making tremendous, incredible progress in this path through the jungle. After quite some time and after quite a bit of progress, they decided to have one person climb up to the tallest tree and look out and see how their progress was coming from up there. And when he got up there, he was horrified with what he saw. And he leaned down towards the group and he shouted, wrong jungle, just like that. To which the guy that was in charge of the organization shouted up, shut up, we're making great progress. And of course, if you're going the wrong way, it's not progress at all. With the Apostle Paul, as he writes this section that is focusing in on the Jewish people, we find a flavor of that going on here in Romans chapter 10. And what we'll see in God's word today is that every man and every woman that will find themselves in heaven at some point has to experience a change in vision and how they see themselves and how they see Jesus Christ. But most of us don't like change, do we? I fall in that category. I really don't like change all that much. I would suggest to you that if you study the life of Jesus Christ and the Pharisees, religious leaders that he came in contact with, that they really did not like change. I want to tell one story about Jesus when he was calling his disciples 
and how something that he said to those religious leaders applies to Paul's writing in the book of Romans as well. When Christ was following his disciples, he first called, you know, Peter and Andrew, James and John, and they were traveling with him. They left their boats, these fishermen, and they were traveling with him. Christ performed some miracles. Christ does some amazing teaching. And so people start to talk about this one Jesus of Nazareth. And individuals start to talk and start to gather in crowds. And he developed quite a following. And at one point, as people were looking at him and wondering how important this guy would be, he calls another one of his 12 disciples. This time, he calls Matthew. In the book of Luke, he's called Levi. And what's interesting about this one is that Matthew was not a fisherman. How many of you remember what Matthew was, Levi was? He was a tax collector. Yeah. So when you think of people who were disliked, this guy is going to be at the top of the list. The tax collectors were hated in Jesus' day because they were robbing the Jews and they were working for the Roman government. They were just hated in so many ways. And so when Jesus goes, calling his 12 to be in his inner circle, and he goes to Levi and he says, I want you to follow me. Levi recognizes that he needs salvation. And he leaves what he's doing and he goes to follow Jesus Christ. And like we should do when we follow Christ, he said, I need to tell all my friends about this. So guess what Matthew did? Had a meal. Come on over, guys. You got to meet this guy. And he's talking to me, so I'm sure he'll talk to you. And at that point, the religious leaders who were looking at this man, Jesus, and they saw this dinner that he had, this group that got together. And as they go and as they are looking at him, they talk to his few disciples that were already called and they ask the question, why in the world does this guy who you're following eat with sinners? And Jesus does not leave them on their own to answer that question. Jesus speaks up and he says something pointed right at those religious leaders. He responds by saying, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And those guys in that room would have considered themselves to be the righteous ones. They keep the law. They don't fail in one point. Everybody looks up to them. They are the righteous ones. And no doubt, those guys gathered around that table reclining with Jesus, they were the sinners. It's kind of a confusing statement because we understand that Jesus came to call anyone to be in his family. And that's true. But before anyone can be in the family of God, they have to recognize and understand that they are a sinner. They are ones that are separated from God because of the sin that's in their life. In Romans chapter 10, we're looking now at the present state of Israel and what is required for the Jews for eternal life. So for these Jews who are in Rome, what does Paul write to them? This is what's required of you to have eternal life. And it's also the exact same thing that's required of the Gentiles so that they can have eternal life. So here beautifully, beautifully we find the inclusion of the Gentiles joining with the Jews. Now, maybe, like, uh, maybe you're like me, and when I was younger, I was wondering what's the big difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? There's clearly a divide 
We call them two different things. One is old, one is new. After a little bit of searching for an answer for this, I landed on the idea that the Old Testament must be just about the law, and the New Testament has got to be about grace. And I would keep those things separate. And yet that is not God's intention for us as He's given us all 66 books of the Bible. God does not intend for us to keep the law separate from grace, but instead He's given us the law to point us to grace, and specifically to point us to Jesus Christ. We're going to break this chapter into three sections today, and the first thing that I see in verses 1 through 8 is the need for perfect vision is universal. The need that you are going to need perfect vision to be able to see Christ and see your sin and see your need for grace, this is universal. So as Paul writes to these people, very clearly, he is pointing out the fact that the problem is not the law, and also the solution is not the law. But instead, the solution is the person Jesus Christ, the Messiah that the law would be pointing to. And so Israel's present condition is they are very zealous this religious group, I mean, they were up there with the most zealous of all of them, but they were zealous without belief in Jesus Christ, who was who they were supposed to be expecting. Look at the first four verses of Romans 10. Brothers, my heart's condition and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved, speaking of the Jewish people there. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so don't miss the picture. In order for someone to have eternal life, Jew or Gentile, man or woman, child or adult, righteousness is required. But the confusion between these two groups in the church there in Rome was how you got to that righteousness. Righteousness is required if you will stand before God someday. He has to see you as righteous, as perfect. And there's absolutely nothing that you can do. No list of rules, no amount of good works, that we can work on that will allow us to be seen as accepted in the eyes of God the Father. There was a problem in this church in Rome, and it's the same problem that many of the Jews had with the Gentiles or with the idea of opening up salvation to everyone else besides the Jews. The problem was jealousy. The jealousy of God's chosen people. Last time we saw how wonderfully God used them. How we are blessed by having the scriptures because of the Jewish people. We're blessed by having the Messiah because of the, of the Jewish people. And they had a big problem with jealousy. There's a word that we're going to read in Romans chapter 10. Just one word that they had a big problem with. And that word is the word everyone. Everyone 
can get in on God's plan for forgiveness. And that was a struggle for them. You know, I don't think that we see this struggle of jealousy for the first time here in Romans and not even in the New Testament. I think we can travel back a long time into the Old Testament and still find that idea where one of God's chosen ones hated for people outside of that group to experience forgiveness and God's patience. I find it in the familiar story of Jonah. You guys remember the story of Jonah? It's a very colorful story. It's easy to remember. This prophet of God is called to go and preach to Nineveh and tell them that they need to repent or else God's going to judge the city. And does Jonah obey? Shake your head yes or no. No, he does not obey. He goes the opposite direction, gets on a boat, and as he is on that boat, they have the huge storm and they end up throwing him overboard. He doesn't drown in the storm, but instead he gets swallowed by a great fish. This huge fish swallows him and that doesn't kill him either. He stays alive for three days in that fish. And then the fish spits him out on land after that time. It's a familiar story. Jonah does end up being obedient and going and preaching. But if you're familiar with the story, I wonder if you can remember the motivation behind why Jonah did not want to go and preach there. It says it in the book. Jonah believed that if God is telling him to go and preach to these wicked sinners to repent, that God was going to change their hearts and they would repent and they would turn to God and they would not face that wrath of God that was coming. Jonah was so selfish that he did not want them to experience forgiveness. He didn't want them to get in on what he had. That's a tough one for me to swallow. What kind of a follower of God is this? This is a mindset among the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and some of the Jews in this church in Rome. They were jealous. And then in verses 5 through 8, we find what we might call hyperbole. Here is uh, the, the Apostle Paul writing, and he is saying, even if you did something so great as to ascend up into heaven, that won't impress God. Even if you were to descend into the lowest parts of the earth to hell and then back, that's not going to get you a place, an audience with God. You see, holiness and righteousness are needed. But holiness and righteousness have never been energized by the actions of an unregenerate heart. Never. No person apart from God has ever been able to get himself to that place of righteousness or holiness. Salvation will never be waiting at the other end of human effort. No matter how hard you try, no matter how good you think you are, or how wonderful your kids or grandkids are, salvation will only come by a change of vision, and that is universal. That's for everybody. The law was not there to provide salvation. Instead, the law was there to point to a Messiah, point to a Savior. And when the law is read correctly, when you read the Old Testament law correctly, 
Who will you see? You will see Jesus. I love that beautiful picture of all the uh, books of the Bible where it gives the idea that Jesus Christ is the scarlet thread that runs through each book of the Bible. We need to have perfect vision and everyone needs to have that. The next thing that I see in the next few verses is the requirement for perfect vision is faith. The requirement for perfect vision is faith. Just one word, faith. I want to read 9 through 15 in this familiar passage. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In verse 13, that word everyone is very, very difficult for the Jews to accept. God's gospel plan was for the Jews and the Gentiles, for all men and women to be a part of that. God's plan has always been inclusion. It was not an exclusive club. God never planned on making a private club where some people weren't allowed in. Now, when I thought of this idea of a private club, my mind went right to a club that I saw back in the olden days of television on the old show, The Little Rascals. How many of you remember The Little Rascals? Raise your hand. All right. Does anybody here remember the name of the club that The Little Rascals had? Some of you, I see some people smiling because it was an exclusive club. It kept a lot of people out. For those of you who don't remember, the name of that club was the He-Man Woman Haters Club. That was what they called their club. Half the people that were around were not allowed in the He-Man Woman Haters Club. And those boys, they were firm about this. It would be a problem for Alfalfa as he had a crush on a girl. But they were very specific. No girls allowed. And I suspect that a lot of boys feel that way. And after a few more years, their minds kind of change about that kind of thing. God's mind has never changed about who belongs in his family. This is made available to everyone. When we look at what God has done for us, it's obvious. And when we look at his work on the cross and his work in our, in our world, in our church today, it's clear that all are welcome and all come in the same way. Everybody, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, young, old, has to come into the family of God by faith. And then the last thing that I see is the assumption of perfect vision is that man takes responsibility. 
as he closes this chapter, he's pointing out to the Jews they are responsible. They cannot blame someone else. They must own this. God's plan has never been hidden. Now, very clearly today with God's written word, completed word for us, and with the emphasis on the gospel, it's much easier to see. But when the gospel writers and the apostle Paul specifically quotes from the Old Testament, he did not have to work to make the Old Testament Christ-centered. Does that make sense? When you read through the Old Testament books, it wasn't a challenge for the New Testament writers to say, well, how can we connect Christ to these books in the Old Testament? God gave them that way. They clearly pointed to Jesus, the coming Messiah, and to his work on the cross. Look at verse 16, just the first half of it. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, speaking of the Jews. Then look at verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We can be helped to learn the problem they were struggling here that the Jews struggled with by one of Aesop's fables. When we look at Aesop's fables, there is a a famous one called the dog and the shadow. Let me share it with you. There was a dog one day traveling along in his regular route and windfall, joy, he came across a piece of meat that would be his dinner for that night. And so this dog in his jaws grabbed a hold of that meat and made his way back for a safe place. And as he's going back to his safe place to eat his meat, he had to cross over a fast-moving stream. And there's a plank that was laid over this stream. And as the dog goes over that plank, he just happens to catch another dog with a piece of meat in his mouth when he looks down at the water. And he looks at that and he says, this day is getting better and better all the time. Not only have I gotten one piece of meat, but I'm pretty sure that I'm strong enough and fast enough to take that piece of meat from that other dog. Then, of course, he was looking at his own reflection in the water. And so as he gets close to the water, trying to sneak up on that other dog with that other piece of meat, he snatches at the meat, trying to grab that so he'll have both. And as he does, he releases his grip and drops his meat into the water where it disappeared, never to be seen again. What's the moral of this fable? Beware you lose the substance by grasping at the shadow. Individuals who were God's people, God's children, the Jewish people, so many blessings, and so many of them were stuck on the Old Testament law, stuck on things that were part of their life that were a blessing, and they were holding on to the shadow, and because of that, they missed it. They missed the substance, the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. For centuries, the Jews possessed the shadow of the coming Messiah, and Jesus came, and Jesus fulfilled the law we see here in Romans 10. He conquered sin, and he conquered death, and yet most of the Jewish people have refused him as the substance so they can hold on to the shadow. 
and what is required. How great of a work do they have to do to earn life with God for eternity, life in heaven with God for all eternity? All they have to do is have faith. That simple. And the plan for the Jews to accept Jesus Christ by faith is the exact, exact same plan as the Gentiles. All right, what can we do with this? Well, first of all, when we look at Romans chapter 10, I want to encourage you to celebrate. You should celebrate God's plan to build his kingdom from every nation. We sang about that earlier. One heart, one voice. Oh, people of God, rejoice. Every nation will have representatives in God's kingdom. We should celebrate this because you wouldn't have gotten in if it wasn't opened up to the Gentiles. So we celebrate a good question for people to ask, and even for you when you're talking to someone about salvation or eternal life or church, if the Lord opens that door for you, a good question to keep in your mind is the question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? If you're talking with someone about that question, oftentimes people will get distracted. Maybe you have had the experience like me of talking with someone and maybe inviting them to church or inviting them to, uh, you know, talk about, have a Bible study. And many people think that they need to get a whole bunch of things in order before they can come to church. Or before they can really have a relationship with God, that they've got to change a whole bunch of things. So I've got in my plans to change all these things. And then after that, then I'll, I'll, I'll be close with God again. We need to remember that Peter, when Jesus Christ first called him and God gave him a great catch of fish, Peter recognized something. He fell down and said, I am not worthy. I am a sinner. And God took in that sinner. And Levi, who everybody knew he was a sinner, God took him in. And so understand when you're talking with someone about eternal life, about faith, what must I do to be saved? It's only one word, faith. They must have faith. They don't have to do a whole bunch of things ahead of time. Don't let them sidetrack you on all the reasons why they don't want to have faith or come to God. Say, let's talk about that later on. God has a way of fixing those things later on. But right now, let's talk about the most important thing, Jesus Christ and what he did for you. And then the second application for us there is ask yourself, what am I doing to answer the questions in Romans 10? How will they believe if they have never heard? And how will they hear unless someone tells them? Getting a little bit preachy here, I know. But God's word is very clear that this is for everyone. And the way that people are going to discover this and find this God does not have a plan B. His plan A and only plan is that you, as followers of Jesus Christ, will share this with others. You know, I think, I've thought to myself before, he could probably send some angels down to do some preaching and that might get a bigger crowd, wouldn't you think? He could probably perform some kind of incredible miracles and get a crowd in that way and get people's attention in that way and then give the gospel. And yet God, in his perfect plan, has chosen to use you if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today. How will they come to God unless they hear about the message of Jesus Christ? How will they hear unless someone tells them? 
How is someone going to tell them unless they are sent? Some of you may say, well, that sounds like your job to me, preacher. No, that's not what Paul is talking about here. If you know Christ, God wants you to be a light to the people around you and have a burden for them. When we look at our God, when we look at what he's done, he never made a mistake in the Old Testament. He never made a mistake in the New Testament church as we study this church in Rome. And he has not made a mistake by bringing you into God's family on this day. You see, God has a plan for you. He loves you. He wants you to serve him. And if it is the case that you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, answered that question, have I been born again? Am I saved? Then I would suggest to you that there are people all around you who would rejoice if today was the day of your salvation. Praise God for knowing our past. Praise God for knowing our present. And we thank God that his plan is perfect in our future. Let's pray. Our loving Father, when we look to you, we come to you with great appreciation for freely giving your son to die on a cross for our sins. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ, even though it was difficult, he went to such a dark place when praying and saying, can you remove this cup from me? And yet he finished that prayer by saying, not my will, but thine be done, because it was your will, Father, that individuals all across this world over thousands of years would accept you by faith. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the salvation available. And we thank you that you've given us this story, this message, not so that we can have someone else necessarily share it, but so that we could have a burden for someone who needs Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, as the piano plays through a song, I want to give you a chance to pray. I'll give you a couple topics. It could be that you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Christ died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. He rose from the dead and conquered the grave and conquered sin for you. And all you have to do is put your faith in that work and he'll make you his son or his daughter. Just pray a simple prayer and ask God to forgive you and make you his child. For others that are here, I want to get specific. And if you have the name of a person that's not saved, as far as you know, I want you to take a moment silently. I want you to pray for them. And I want you to pray that they would hear this message of salvation.